So we are continuing this series that, uh, that we started um, a few weeks ago as we were studying the, through the different churches of Revelation. Um, but as we look at, again, this series, we've been still looking at these different churches that, that Jesus showed up in. I mean, Jesus literally showed up in, uh, to these churches, and, and we see in the beginning of Revelation that the chapters 2 and 3 are all red letters. I mean, it's literally Jesus speaking, showed John what he saw in these different churches, and, and, and they heard what, and saw what was good, what was bad, and what they needed to do next. And, and we as a church, again, are are seeking the Lord in that of what is next for Oregon Trail. And, and again, we did this similar series. It was the very first series when I was here as took over as pastor of Oregon Trail. Um, and that was uh, six years ago in the summer of 2015. And, and, and at that time, we were seeking the Lord with for the same reasons, right, but with different questions about, like, Lord, what's next? And, and out of that series and that time of prayer and evaluation was, what came, our current core values and our vision of joining the journey and, and all of those, those things that we are continuing to live out that God showed us then. And, and, and now, as I feel like that as a church, we are seeking the Lord one more time as, as so much has changed, not just in the last six years that I've been here, but, but also as, as we know in the last even 18 months within, in our, within our culture and our world, a lot has changed. And, and as we seek the Lord now, of, of we know that God is here. Right? And, and again, when we looked at it the first time, it was what if Jesus came to church. And now we know he's here, right? And so now it's when he comes, will we listen? And will we, will we be obedient? And what do we need to learn right, from what he shows us? And, and yet, even in the midst of chaos, right, we know that God is with us. And when we look around our world, we see chaos everywhere. And yet God is still with us. And again, a theme verse for this series comes out of Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And these, these words, this promise was given to Israel in the midst of some, some horrible chaos in their world and, it, and there's their surroundings. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray... I will listen, and if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And that is our call um, through this series as a church, that we will seek the Lord wholeheartedly, that we will pray, right, and we will be open to what God says. Right, and as we seek again the Lord, I'm saying, what is next in my own faith, in my own heart, in my own journey? What's the next step I need to take? Right, as well as what's the next step for our church, right, to move forward and to, to continue to expand God's kingdom through what we are doing as a church body. Right? And even not just what's our role within our church, but also in our community and, and in, our, in our states and in our nation. And Lord, what do you need us to do to fulfill your purpose and your plan? Ben started this off as we looked uh, that week at the church of Ephesus, and we learned from that church that we need to keep God on the throne, right? That we can't get distracted from what really matters, and that, and that is Christ being first in everything, right? And that our love cannot grow cold. We cannot be distracted by other things. Last week, we looked at the church of Smyrna and how learned how we are rich even during suffering, and that being rich does not just talk about your, the balance of your bank account. And we are instructed to not be afraid 
and to pass whatever test is given us. As we stay focused on Jesus, again, go back to the very first church. And now this week, we're moving forward, and this week we, is a little unique, and we're going to cover two churches today. It's a, we're have a six-week study, there are seven churches, so this is where we're making up the week, right? Right here. We are looking at the two churches, the next two churches, the churches of Pergamum and Theatria. And so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Revelation chapter 2. We are going to read verses 2 or 12 through 29. Like I said, we are covering these next two churches. If you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats. You're welcome to use. If you don't have your own, you're with us online. Hopefully you have your Bible close to you, and you can open with us. If not, you can just listen as I read it to you, uh, Revelation chapter 2, picking up at verse 12. So write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to strip up or trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. And in a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand that he is saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. So that's the first church, and I just want to pause there as we're going to continue to read the text. But I don't know about you, but kind of my thought as I looked at, thought about Pergamum was, I wonder how many people want a vacation home in Satan's city. I don't know, that was, maybe that just was funny to me. All right, next one, 18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Theatria. This is a message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do, and I've seen your love, your faith, your servant, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Theatria who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. And I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey to the very end, to them I will give authority over all nations, and they will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what, is he, what he is saying to the churches. So as you read the description of these two churches, one of the reasons that 
we're doing them together, and you might have already seen it, is that they're commended for very similar things. And they are also um, called out for very similar things. Now, they're in different contexts. There's kind of different names or people involved. But for these two churches, they have very similar problems. Hey, now, they're both obviously not in great environments, right? I mean, as you said, Pergamum, literally, Jesus says, is Satan's city. Like, not, that's not a, a great, you know, tagline for this, for the, um, you know, city marketing, what am I trying to say? For the city, right? that's, that's, not, that's not probably a great claim to fame, is it? Right? Hey, we're Satan City, come visit. Right now, we also see, though, that again, Theatra, again, has, um, its own, is dealing with its own evils, right? And, and in that, and yet, um, as we look at these two churches, like I said, we're looking at them because they are similar. And, and we're going to look at some of these similarities. The first one is, again, they are similar in what is good, what Jesus tells them they are doing well. Okay? And they are, both of these churches are, are commended for their loyalty and their endurance. But they are not in good environments, right? Neither one of these churches are. And yet, right, they are commended by Jesus of saying, you are stayed loyal to me amidst the chaos and the evil around you. Right? And you have not followed the false teaching, and you have stuck with me, right? No matter what, you have stayed focused, and you've stayed loyal. And yet, even as we look at this, the, actually, the, the church uh, in Theatra is, is kind of a little, a little above even Pergamum in the fact that, of this fact that Jesus points out in verse 19. I think this is a very important fact. He says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. Again, those are all the same things that were described in Pergamum as well. But then Jesus adds on to this church, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Now, as we see that, and that's a very key phrase, I think one that we need to look at, because when we think about our own faith and our own faith journey and where we are with God and what our next step is, and, and am I becoming more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today, again, we see and know that, 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 that God's not looking to us and asking for perfection, right? Because he knows that, that's, that we're not going to get there, right? The only way we're going to get there is through God's spirit, right? And through his continued transformation power in our lives, right? But this is what God is looking for, is constant improvement, movement in your faith. Again, that I'm better tomorrow than I am today. Right? And, and again, not even necessarily focused on on the end goal, right? But yet, but just keep, just keep swimming. Famous Disney quote. Right? You just keep moving forward. Right? And, and, and even just, I take those little steps, right? Those little bites. I just keep going. Constant improvement. Right? And again, we've talked about this a lot of times. We talk about our vision and the steps of our journey and where we go and Right? The fact that we have to be moving forward, otherwise you're really going backwards. Right? And, and you can't just camp in your faith. The reality is, if you are still breathing, you still have growing to do. Right? Because this faith journey is not over until you're standing face-to-face -face with Jesus. Right? And that's when your earthly growth journey stops and your heavenly journey begins. And, and yet, until we get to that moment, right, we have to continue to improve. To be more like Jesus. Or we got to keep moving and keep growing. 
Now, as we think about this, again, this constant improvement that we see in this church, we also need to remember, right, that this is actually the opposite of the very first church we looked at, the church of Ephesus, right? They were called out, right, for losing their first love, right, for their love growing cold. And, and, and so, again, to say that, this is literally the opposite. I mean, Ephesus, what was going wrong in Ephesus was going right in Theatra. Now, Ephesus was, their actions were better, right, but their faith was stalled. They, and yet, because again, remember, that church was commended for all of their good works. And I think that also gives us another huge insight, right, into how we continue to keep growing moving forward. It's not just about what you do, it's about who you are. Right? It's about deepening that relationship with God, because that's where they went wrong in Ephesus, right, was they did too much, and they, they neglected the relationship side of their walk with God. And ultimately, that is the core of the gospel, right, is your relationship with God, right, and your, your, your growth with him, right, and, being, and you know, all the transformation that he makes within your heart. We see the good, their, lo- the, their loyalty, their endurance, right? They were sticking with God even through tough times. They were con- continually moving forward in their faith. And then we have, though, the bad, right? And the bad that they are called out for is false and deceptive teaching from within the church. False and deceptive teaching from within the church. As we see this kind of reading between the lines of of Jesus' descriptions of what was happening within these churches, Right, we, we can see that there was some intimidation, some persecution, some suffering, even death was working um, in, in Pergamum as, as much as it was in Smyrna. But, but there, again, last week when we think about the church in per- Smyrna, there, there, there was deceptive teaching, there was there's false prophets, there was all these kind of things that were called out even there. But there's a very distinct difference between Smyrna, the one we looked at last week, and these two churches today. Is both of these churches, they are, are called out for evil and deception inside their communities, inside their churches. Again, that Pergamum becomes kind of a transition. We turn a corner here in these churches, and, and this, is, this is a hard thing to see around the corner, right? Is, is that the, the first one, the first two churches, right, they were dealing with churches from, or dealing with evil from outside of their churches, right? From the, the culture and the world out around them and in their, in their cities and towns. And yet these two churches, though, the evil was coming from within. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, as being a part of a church, that makes me pause. And because not only is it potentially convicting, especially coming from a Bible teacher, right? Oh, Lord, please don't let me be in that camp. Right, but it also, though, pauses of thinking about the danger right, of evil being among you. Right? And, and, and thinking about, again, the, 
the false and the deceptive teaching from within the ranks of the church and how that can lead toward rampant sin among a faith community. And as we think about that and, and kind of even digest the fact that that's what Jesus calls out, I mean, I don't know about you, but that almost makes me sick. Thinking about the ramifications of that. And, and, and yet we see what Jesus calls out. I mean, he calls out Balaam and Jezebel. These are both symbolic Old Testament names of deceptive and evil leadership that pushed people towards false gods. Again, this is, this is an Old Testament reference that, 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 um, that Jesus calls out, right? And, and which again shows how much we need to know our scriptures. And as Jesus calls out and uses those two as, as symbolic names, right, he again once again calls out these Nicolaitans, which he had originally talked, addressed in the church of Ephesus. But, but again, the, the whole core of this idea, and these are, that's the only two places that that term or title is ever used in Scripture. And scholars have like, stumbled over it for decades, right, about like what was Jesus really calling out, but, but, and there's opinions all, all throughout of, of what, what that is, but yet the, the prevailing opinion is uh, most scholars agree that it was about people inside the church. It was false and deceptive teaching that was using their, their power, right, and their influence for unholy things. And, and as we think about that and, and, and saying, okay, so how do we make sure that, that whether it's myself, right, or whatever, wherever your role is within church leadership, right, or, or just as a church, how do we make sure that that just doesn't happen? And, and in the midst of that, we, we can look to the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And, and, and again, Corinthians is another church that had all kinds of internal problems. And yet, one of the advice that, that, that Paul gives to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, he says, It, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but I, it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. And Paul says here, literally, Paul also quotes an Old Testament standard, right, out of the book of Deuteronomy. And, and again, he calls out this church, right, of saying like, hey, to realize that, that there is judgment and there is accountability, and those two are not the same. Right, and so many times, again, if you just look at the world's reputation of the church, is, is they don't like us because the church is judgmental. Right, but notice, again, Paul addresses the, the core spiritual truth that it is not our job as the church to judge the world, right, to judge the unbelievers. God says, that's my job, let me do it. But yet, Paul does call out the Corinthian church just as Jesus calls out these two churches to say, but it is your job to hold each other, right, meaning the body of Christ, accountable Right? Because when you receive Jesus as your Savior, when you accept him, right, pray and confess 
your sins, invite him into your life, and you become a believer, when you join the journey of faith, then not only does your identity change from God's creation to God's child, but you are also um, adopted into God's family. And guess what? God tells us as his family to help each other do better. To help each other with our constant improvement. Right, and, 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 and this is very important, right? That judgment and accountability are not the same thing. Right? Judgment is about salvation. And that is God's job. Only God can save. We can't even save ourselves. That's why we need a Savior, Messiah. Again, and if you're here today and you are not saved, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I'll tell you that this is not an evangelistic message, by the way, as we can tell. Right, but if you're here and, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then I hope that you will pray and accept him into your life. And we are not here to judge you. Because judgment is about salvation, and that's God's job. Okay, but accountability is about discipleship, is about growth in our faith, and that is our job. Again, Jesus calls out two very specific situations and sins that, were, that the, both of these churches were dealing with. It was about eating food offered to idols and about sexual sin. Now, as we can look at both of these, uh, again, uh, sins, and again, we can step back and say, well, we, we don't really deal with idols, but yes, we do. Right? And we can sit back and say, oh, we don't deal with sex. And we, I mean, if we say we don't deal with sexual sin, then we would all laugh, wouldn't we? Because we do. Right? And, and when we think about these, again, we look at kind of the, the literal meaning of what Jesus calls out specifically in these churches. Again, both of these towns, as we've kind of already pointed out, were not great environments, right? I mean, they're literally one of them, literally Jesus says is Satan's city, right? They're, they were dealing with emperor worship, just like what was rampant in Smyrna. Again, the different holidays, holidays that involved feasts and and again, this food that was offered to the gods, and it was a part of the eating it, was a very significant part of the rituals and the holiday celebrations and all these things, as well as um, sex with the temple priestesses and things was going on. Again, it was just very sinful stuff that's happening in this culture. And yet, these sins had leaked their way into the church. And again, it wasn't about the evil of the culture around. It was the fact that it had found its way into the ranks of the church. And Jesus calls them out for this. Now, if we look back at the, the letter to the Corinthians, again, in 1 Corinthians, is Paul addresses both of these issues directly in that church as well. He addresses sexual sin specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He addresses sacrifice meat in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And then it all comes together as he addresses not only these two issues, but a much larger concept about sin in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where there is the very famous concept and passage about do not cause another believer to stumble. Now, if you're in a sermon discussion group, you're going to dive deep into those chapters this next week. And if you're not, I still encourage you to get the questions, right? They're available up there, they're online, and go through it yourself, because we simply do not have time to, to dive deeper into those today. 
But as we know, right, that these sins, as we know, these sins themselves are bad, right? I mean, we can look at that and say these sins are, these sins are bad. I mean, I think we could all agree that, right? But, but the, the interesting thing of what Jesus says to these churches is that that was not the most important issue that Jesus addresses, is not the actual sin, right? What made Jesus the most upset about these churches was their lack of repentance, thing that made Jesus the most upset about these churches was not the sins themselves. It was their lack of repentance. Right? In fact, Jesus talks about it multiple times to both churches. Which leads us then to what we need to do next. And that is repent. Repent and turn away from your sins. Again, it's not about where you are. It's about where you're going. Okay, and that is true whether you're a believer in Jesus or not. And I think that's especially true if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, right? That it's not about where you are right now. It's about where God's going to take you. And the only place that you can go is to join the journey, right? Is how that you move to a new place. But if you're in the journey, if you've already joined the journey and now you're in the journey, now the question is, what am I doing in my daily life and where am I going? And ultimately, it comes back to being repentful. Again, we see through this that, uh, again, this, this verse is one of the many places within Scripture that Jesus tells us that we are held accountable according to our knowledge. Now go back and look at verse 23. Jesus is pretty clear. And yet, when we think about this step, right, of the most important thing that Jesus calls out to these churches is repentance. And, and yet, we also need to know at the most foundational level that confession and repentance are not the same thing. Just like judgment and accountability are not the same thing, confession and repentance are not the same things. Right? And so many times we think we get off the hook for confessing. Right? But yet, confession is about admitting the truth about where you are because of your past. Admitting my sin, admitting where I am, right? and, and, and con- confessing that. In fact, as we see and we think about the community, again, this, again, this is about inside the church. And, and inside the church, James tells us in James chapter 5, he says, to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you will be healed. Is the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Again, he was telling, talking to people inside the church. He says, confess to each other, right? Pray for each other. Right? Admit where you are, right? And where your sin from your past has, has made you end up, right? That's confession. It was the, one of the main jobs that we're supposed to have for each other in the family of God is that we're supposed to be able to confess to each other, right? And so that that's how we find healing, from your past. Again, confession is primarily about your past. But confession and repentance aren't the same, right? Because repentance is about moving in a new direction for your future. Confession is about your past. 
admitting about how you got where you are. Repentance is about moving to somewhere new. Repentance is about your future. To move in a new direction. Right? To, to not just say, yes, I, I messed up, but now to say, but I'm not only I'm acknowledging I messed up, but now I want to move forward so I don't mess up again. Right? And I don't want to end up at the place where in my own misery that, that's got me to the place that's the natural result of my decisions, right? And my sin and, and all that, right? I confess that that's how I got here, and now my repentance is I, I'm not, I don't want to go back there. Right? I'm going to move forward. And again, this, this is one of the reasons why discipline is so important and why, again, as parents, we can't always remove all of the consequences of our kids' choices because they need to remember what that feels like. And, and as they move forward, then they make, when they're faced with the same decision again, they're like, no, I know where that decision goes, and I don't want to go back there. So I'm not going to do that again. But that's repentance. And, and when we think about repentance and about moving forward in a new direction, this, this again, this was at the core of Jesus' message. Even at the core of his miracles. In fact, when we see one of the very famous miracles with the adulterous woman in John's seven and eight, the conclusion of that story, Jesus' words in, in John eight eleven, and he looks at her and he said, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, so now go and sin no more. He doesn't condemn her because of her confession, but now the next step is repentance. Go and sin no more. All right, this is a two-step step process. And yet when we look at the, the differences in those, know that they are also intertwined. Confession and repentance are intertwined because the reality is you can have confession without repentance, but you can never have repentance without confession. I'll say that one more time too, because that's pretty important. You can have confession without repentance, but you can never have repentance without confession. Right, we've all seen that in our own lives and, and in others, right? When somebody just, there's this sinful cycle in their lives and they just end up in the same place over and over and over again, right? And they confess it, right? It's when they come back to the altar over and over again for the same sin, right? The problem is not confession. The problem is repentance, right? That's confession without repentance. But yet you have to start with confession, but then we move towards repentance. Remember, repentance was the biggest thing that these churches were called out on that was wrong. And then the next step that we, we see, again, that, that both churches are addressed, right, is that they are told to hold tightly to what you have. Hold tightly to what you have. Again, what do we have, right? We, as the world is in chaos around us, and there's all this deceptive and evil teaching. And, and again, how do we know what to believe? Have you ever felt that way in the last 18 months? Right? And yet Jesus even addresses it, right? He says, so no, hold tight to what you have. And, and he's, he's just, even in the intro of the churches, right, he says, it is the sword of my mouth. That's what we have. And again, all throughout Scripture, right, Scripture is described as a sword. Right? And we, we talk about Scripture as the God's Word, right? I mean, again, all of these, this, again, biblical symbolism comes together here in this description from Jesus of saying, like, 
And again, he's saying, he's like, don't make me use my sword. All right, I'm giving you grace and mercy, right? Get to this place, and you're like, don't, don't make me have to swing the sword. But, but guess what? God's word is a two-edged sword. I've read that somewhere before. But as we think about this, and, and this whole idea, right? Know that, again, this, the, the idea of what Jesus is getting these churches to understand, and it's something that we need to know today, because it's still absolutely as true today as it was then, and even when Paul wrote it to Timothy, right? In Timothy 3.15, he says, this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. Does that describe our churches today? Because it should. Does that describe Oregon Trail? Because it should. Right, and when we think about where we are and what we need to do and what's our next step and what does God want us to do, it, it ultimately comes back to this truth. Are we the church of the living God? Yes. Are we going to be the pillar and the foundation of truth for our world? I certainly hope so. Right, and as we Think about this. Will, will we confess to each other? Will we repent? Will we, will we help pick each other up when we struggle, right? Will we call out evil when we need to call it out, right? Will we be the pillar of truth for the living God? That's the church I want to be a part of. That's the church I want to lead, right? And yet we all have a role in fulfilling that, don't we? Right? And when we think about that idea, and we, we, we hear from these churches, right? Jesus literally gives them a list of things that will be true, that they will be given if they do these things. Right? He says they'll get manna, right? which is God's provision, his grace, his faithfulness. In fact, there's manna in the Ark of the Covenant to represent God's provision. They'll be given a white stone, right? an invitation to attend God's banquets. They'll be given a new name, right? The name of Christ holds all the power, and we are a new creation in Christ when we join the journey of faith as we serve and become a child of the one true king. We will claim the name of Jesus that gives us the same authority over evil that God has. Again, not our power, but his. And we will be called the morning star, right? The light that conquers darkness. Think about the, what, that's what the morning star is, right? The first star of the morning, it breaks through the darkness and starts the process of opening light to everything. So these are all things that Jesus describes for these churches. If they do this and fulfill this, this is literally the start of the list of what will be true. Sign me up. Right, as we think about this and, and expect and, and seek the Lord about, my Lord, what do I need to know? What, what do we need to know as a church? What's our next steps? Right? We, again, go back to this call to prayer. Lord, what is true about me that I see from these? What do I need to work on? What is true of our church? And what do we all need to work on? 
And as we are called to prayer, again, that's what this series is about, is a call to prayer. To seek the Lord, that we will respond to the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, And we will be faithful. We will live out what God is asking us to do. And again, the the concluding questions, right? Every week as we study each church is what does Oregon Trail need to learn from the Church of Pergamum and Theatra? Will you commit to diligent prayer during this series about Oregon Trail to continue our mission? And what is your role in that mission? Until you are here today or with us online because God wants you here. You're not here by accident. Again, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then that's where the journey starts. Confessing your sin, inviting God into your life, being saved, to see, not to seal your eternity, but to start you on a new path now right, of constant improvement towards Jesus. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I hope that you will pray. Just pause now and pray and open your life to him. But if you have, notice, if you have prayed, if you've already joined the journey of faith and you are saved, as you see, these two churches is not about outside. It's about inside. It's about being in the journey. And what's your next step? Again, I don't know what your next step is. Everybody's journey is different. But I hope that you will be faithful, you'll be diligent, and you will take it, whatever God's leading you to do. And if you don't know what God's leading you to do, then ask him, because he's waiting to tell you. And if you don't know how to do that, then ask somebody around you, and they will help you, because that's what the church does. To my final thought, and again, if you've been around, you should already have it filled in. First Peter 4, 7, and 8. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And most of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And as our worship team leads us in a closing song, I just encourage you to Pray. Seek the Lord. In a prayer of salvation, if that's what you need, a a prayer of confession, if that's what you need, a a prayer of repentance, if that's what you need, but move towards constant improvement. It's not about where you are, it's about where you're going. Lord God, that is our prayer today. Lord, we give you all we have. And God, that's all you ask. But Lord, we thank you so much for taking us wherever we're at. We just give you all we have, but Lord, we also praise you for not leaving us where we are. And God, I pray, Lord, that as individuals in the journey of faith, that we will move forward. God, that as a church committed to fulfill what you need us to do, God, help us to be the pillar of truth in our community. God, to shine your light in this dark world. And as we go this week, Lord, help us to live our faith every day and every Lord, that we will move, not just move forward in our own faith, 
that we will fulfill the role you have for us in your plan. God, that we will show others what truthfully is and invite them to the feast as well. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, God, that, that we don't just come to church, but that we are the church. And as we go this week, Lord, we will take your spirit and we will continue to be the church every day. We love you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you, God, for giving us more journey, God, to experience on this earth. Guide us as we go. In 